We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org slash live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. Good morning. We're turning again to the book of Psalms, right where we were the last couple of times. I talked to you and I mentioned Psalms 111, 112, and 113. And I intend to touch upon each one of those today. I know we talked about those first two of those to some extent. But what we find here is, is really marvelous indeed. It is God's word, and we need to listen to it, pay attention to it, heed it. I put at the top of my notes for today a heading. And the heading says, Praise the Lord forever. Praise the Lord forever. The idea or the concept of praising the Lord has certain implications that come with it. Included in those are the, the notion that if one desires to please the Lord, there has to be some basis for it. It's speaking something about the way we think, what we think, what we value, what we put importance on. And, you know, the whole notion, we used to hear some preachers often talk about our goal being to learn to think God's thoughts after him. That kind of an idea. I was thinking about what Pastor just said about our situation here in the ballot box and decisions that would be made at that ballot box. And of how we look at that whole thing and what we decide is the right thing to do at the ballot, all comes out of the way we see the world, what lens we're looking through. What is it that we're doing with our own considerations? So let's now look again at the Psalms. And I'm not gonna spend as much time on the, uh, the first ones as I did before, but we're gonna go through again. Now, these three psalms that I have here, they all, each one, starts with the word praise of the Lord. So praise, or uh, hallel, <laughs> hallelujah, this is what this comes from. 
And so the idea is, is praise, hallelujah, God, hallelujah, praise, praise God. And so we, have, so we have that. And in Psalm 111, it, says, it talks about the Lord and that he is righteous. That his work is honorable and glorious. And it says he sent his redemption to his people. And then it also says, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The beginning of wisdom, fear of the Lord. So when it says he sent redemption to his people, as we said before, we understand that the psalm was written out of a certain context. And that context was God's people, the Israelites, and his working with, in, and through them. And the purposes that he had that was his to accomplish through them included us because he was doing a work through that people, as it said with Abraham, and you know, through you, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So we have a psalm here, starting, praise the Lord. And again, as we noted before, this psalmist said, as for himself, he had resolved as to what he would do. His resolve was this. He said, I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. So he had made a commitment for himself personally as to how he would conduct his life. And we make commitments personally as to how we're going to conduct ours. Our conduct ought to be pleasing to God. Our thoughts and the patterns of thinking and things that we do, how we focus our attention, ought to be pleasing to him. We ought to be concerned about that. Because if they are pleasing to him, then we can praise him. But if we know they're not pleasing, how can we praise him? But my head says, praise the Lord forever. So the challenge is to us is to always be humble before the Lord and to seek his help because we know more than we wish to share with other people. Many areas where we know we fall short. But what do we do? Keep looking to the Lord and saying, Lord, help because we need that. And so that was his resolve. His statement was not an empty statement. His statement was not just a a talking point. We hear that expression a lot. People talking about, well, they just 
repeating the talking points. They're not really engaging in discussion. They're just repeating talking points. This psalmist wasn't doing that. He spoke from the depth of his heart. But there was something behind it, some things that he knew, some things that he understood, things that we can know and understand as well. And so he said, the works of the Lord are great. He knew that. He's not saying that somebody said it. I heard it on the news. Some reporter said that. Or that's some reporter's opinion. The works of the Lord are great. They are. We should all acknowledge it and understand it. We all, I assume everybody here already knows that. But also I think there are many people who, who don't go there, as it were. They neglect that part. And then it says, studied by all who have pleasure in them. So the works of the Lord are great. His work is honorable and glorious. That's the work of the Lord, what he does. Honorable, glorious. And so if we have an idea that we want to be more like the Lord, we want our work to be honorable. We want those who represent us in the legislative bodies to be honorable. And so we try to get what we can towards those ends. In verse 3, and his righteousness endures forever. Now the word forever is is with meaning. What does it mean? It means it means exactly what it says. So the righteousness never loses its place. It never loses its position. It never loses favor. His righteousness, God's righteousness endures forever. He has made his wonderful works to be remembered. To remember his wonderful works. When we remember the wonder of what God has done and let that percolate in our minds, it causes us to praise him. It calls forth worship out of our hearts when we do that. His wonderful works to be remembered. But that also says he's, he, he, he's gracious. He's full of compassion. Gracious and compassion. What would the world be without that? What would we be without it? You know we wouldn't be here because it's of the mercies of the Lord that we're here. And without it, we wouldn't be. Though the Lord is gracious and he is full of compassion and if and given that he is there's reason to praise him. He has given food to those who fear him. That's speaking about meeting material needs, physical needs, needs. And it says he has given food to those who fear him. 
He will be ever mindful of his covenant. And so in the context out of which it comes, you remember the Israelites in their journey. At one time, they rose up in rebellion against Moses. And they said, what have you done? Brought us out of Egypt so that we can starve here in the wilderness. Accusing them. What a horrible thing that was to do. But God has given food to those who fear him, those who are his people. He had a covenant with them. And he said, there are, this covenant means I'm making certain promises of things that I'm going to accomplish. And he's mindful of his covenant. He doesn't forget about the covenant that he made. He has declared to his people the power of his works and given them the heritage of the nations. He has done this for them to be able to see and understand. This is God at work, observe, and understand and learn. The works of his hands are verity and justice. Oh, how we long for more justice. But how do we understand justice and what it is? We have people in our land who hold positions that require that if they are to do their job correctly, that justice is administered. But one has to have a right notion of what that means. Not just doing whatever feels good or whatever meets somebody's agenda, but have a standard that doesn't shift by which to compare and find out what's right, what's wrong, and then stand for the right and against the wrong. That's what we need. All of God's precepts are sure. They're not on a shaky foundation. They're not subject to the blowing of the winds, the shifting of the sands. They're, they aren't. They are sure. They stand fast. And here we go with that word again, forever and ever. Stand fast. Forever and ever. And are done in truth and uprightness. You know, we talk about justice and all that truth and uprightness. We could use a lot more of that in our world today, too. Because oftentimes when you listen to the media, the public media, there's so many times there are things that are being stated that we know are not the truth. And yet they speak it with a straight face, right into your face. And unfortunately, too many people take it as truth and run with it. But if we have this lens of God's word and look at it through there, it would be as clear as day and night. Many of these things would not even be a question mark. But if people use other lenses or their own ideas, then 
They call what's good bad and what's bad good and go on their way. In verse number nine, in verse in Psalm 111, he has sent redemption to his people again. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. Not that the letters that compose the name and pronounce it out is what the author is getting at, but his name is it. it it means the one who whose name it is. That's the one, not the name per se, who is holy and awesome. But the God whose name it is, he is holy and awesome. And so then the verse 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. His praise endures forever. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The Lord is righteous. His works are honorable and glorious. He sent redemption to his people. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And now Psalm 112. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord. That person's righteousness endures forever. The desire of the wicked shall perish. That's the heading I put for Psalm 112 in my notes. Psalm 112. So what does it say? Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. See the connection. This great, awesome, honorable, wonderful, merciful, gracious God. The fear of him personally embraced. What, is, what are the results of that? What happens to the one who does it? Psalm 112 is talking about that. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. And we know that the word man here is not limiting what the psalmist is saying to just the male persons, but that it's every person. This is the application for every person. Or as we see in Psalm 1, in verses 1 and 2, where it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Think of that. Ungodly, sinners, scornful. But there is a, a negative to that. Then it says in verse 2, but delights in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Now there is a very interesting notion in his law. 
That means what God has to say about things. He's meditating on that. He's thinking about it. He's letting that be in his thinking. We need to do it continually. And so, so what about the person who does this? What about them? What happens? What happens? Well, this psalm is talking about that, about what happens to the one who does it. And this is what it says. There's a lot of things here. But it says something about his descendants. The notion is that that righteous person will have an influence and an impact that goes beyond that individual. Here it speaks about descendants will be mighty on the earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Now, we know that's not a fill-in-the-blank for us, but it's a principle. And the general principle is that we should endeavor to live righteous lives in light of the fact that it not only benefits ourselves, but it benefits others. Who else could be benefited? if we live a righteous life, if we do what we should be doing, because they can see it and they can be influenced by it. But if, on the other hand, they see us doing what we ought not to do and they know we ought not to do, that also has an influence and has an impact. And so we should be mindful of that. But here's what it says here. In verse number three, it says, wealth and riches will be in his house and then it says, and his righteousness endures forever. It's the righteousness endures forever. Righteousness, righteousness, enduring forever. Unto the upright. You know, there can be times of, of darkness and despair and frustration and worry and concern. But what does it say about the upright? Verse 4, but the upright. Unto the upright there arises light and darkness. Light and darkness. Wonderful. Awesome. And so what about that person then? It says, he is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord. That person's righteousness endures forever. I'm just reading again from the heading that I put. And then it says that a good man, a good man, what would a good man do? Well, the psalmist tells us something about that. He says a good man desires, deals graciously, and lends. A good man deals graciously and lends. He will guide his affairs with discretion. That means that he is somebody who is being responsible but not just for himself, but he's really responsible so that he can be of help to other people. See, if what we do is waste or self-consume everything come, that comes our way, we have no way to help anybody else. But if we are mindful of what we have and use it wisely, then we are able to help somebody else. We have something for that. 
And so just as our righteousness, as much as we live righteously, has an impact, conducting our affairs properly allows us to be able to share the blessings. In verse number six, surely he's talking about this righteous one now, the one who has gained the fear of the Lord and began, began on that path of wisdom. He will surely never be shaken. The righteous will be an everlasting remembrance. You know, you, you think about some of the righteous deeds of, of certain ones and various things that they did, and you just sometimes sit around and marvel about those things and rejoice about some of the things and, and that. Um, surely, he will never be shaken. The righteous will be an everlasting remembrance. He will not be afraid of evil things. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. It talks about two ideas here, which are incompatible to be held together at the same time. That's what it's saying here. Afraid of evil things and steadfast trust in the Lord are incompatible. You can make your choice as to which one. But the psalmist says, trust in the Lord. His heart is established. He's firm in his commitment, his understanding, his faith in the Lord. He's firm in that. He will not be afraid until he sees the desires of his enemies. He has dispersed abroad. He's given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn or his strength will be exalted forever. And then the sad part of that verse is, again, that contrast, the wicked. It says the, the wicked will see. Now, we know in Israel's history, some of these things pan out just as this is speaking it. There were times when Israel's enemy, they, they saw and they grieved and they gnashed their teeth. And this says here, will gnash the teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked will perish. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 3 says, The wicked man boasts because he gets what he wants. The one who robs others curses and rejects the Lord. And he will melt away. And now let me come to Psalm 113. 113. The Lord is high above all. He humbles himself to help the poor and needy. Praise the name of the Lord forever. Now that's the head of my, put on my notes. Kind of a long heading. But look at what the psalmist is saying here. He, again, he says, praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Three times, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. 
Praise the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. And so these psalms, it's just the notion of praising the Lord, and that is a forever thing. It, it gets it into our minds and our thinking. And then it goes on to say, from the rising of the sun to the going down, the Lord's name is be praised. From the rising of the sun to the going down. So we can say, when is the Lord's name not to be praised? Right? Well, I think the psalmist didn't leave any space for that. It's all-inclusive. There is no space for it. And so in verse 4, it says, The Lord is high above all nations, his glory above the heavens. He is higher. He's beyond his creation. Everything else other than God is his creation. And he is high above. And then it says, who is like the Lord our God? I take that to be a rhetorical question that has been presented. Such a question which is stated in this form to bring attention and focus. And the answer is given or understood or assumed. Who is like our God? The answer is none, no one. Not even all of the false gods combined together to gain whatever strength they can get combined. There's just nothing compared to our God who dwells on high. But here's a marvelous thing that we read next. This God, wonderful, high, exalted, lifted up above everything. What does it say about him? Who humbles himself. He humbles himself. That's a marvelous thing. Who humbles himself. He bends down, stoops to look at the things in the heavens and the things on the earth. He raises the poor out of the dust, lifts, lifts the needy out of the ash heap. Such an awesome, mighty, powerful God concerned about the, the little people, the little guy, the disenfranchised. He cares about him. It's amazing how many scriptures and places talk about the God's care for the poor. His love for them talks about that. He humbles himself. Well, what about this humbling of the Lord? I think some of you have already anticipated what verse I'm going to go to or verses. Because when we think about the Lord humbling himself, we think about a special humbling. And I'm going to read from Philippians chapter 2. And the verses 5 through 10. It said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery 
to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men. So if you think about the idea of humbling, this blows the mind. See, sometimes we have to humble ourselves, but it's nothing by comparison to what this is. This is the God who is the creator and also the sustainer. The God who, to whom every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. And being found in appearance of a man, he's humbled himself and became obedient to the death of the cross, even the death of the cross, even that ignominious, horrifying, awful death. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, Every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth, on earth and those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee confess, every knee bow that he is Lord. It talks about the raising up of the poor and those in the ashes. It says that he may seek them with princes, with the princes of his people. So that God is able to do like we can think about what he did with Job. Job was at a very low ebb. In fact, he was, he was so low that those that were, who are observing him probably thought, how can a man go lower? It's such great despair. But what did God do? He, he raised him. He set him in a proper, wonderful place. And then in verse 9, he grants the barren woman at home like a joyful mother of children. And we see many examples of this in the scriptures. We can think about some some of them, like, for example, Sarah, or Rebecca, or Rachel, or Hannah. We know that God's talked about his covenant and how he was faithful to it. And we know that him changing the barrenness of some of these women to make them fruitful was a part of his plan so that he could have the people to multiply the way that he promised that they would. And if they would have remained barren, it couldn't have happened. But it did that. I was thinking about Hannah. I'm going to take a little time quickly to read a little bit about Hannah's situation. Hannah was grieved, the wife of Elkanah, because she was barren. Of course, she was also tormented by his other wife, who was fruitful, in her offspring. And so First Samuel 117, this is what Hannah, it says of her. 
She made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me, and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. The Lord answered the prayer in the affirmative, and in response, Hannah had a prayer. Let me just read that quickly. This is what she said. This is chapter 2 now, in verses 1 through 10. My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord of my strength. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come out of your mouth, for the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by him, by him, actions are weighed. We need to think on that. The bows of the mighty are broken, and those who stumble are girded with strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, and the hungry have ceased to hunger. Even the barren has borne seven, and she who has many children has become feeble. They're just talking about the reverse course, the reverses there. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings up. You know, you think of the Lord right away, you know, his death, burial, resurrection, right? The Lord makes poor and it makes rich. He brings low and he lifts up. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the beggar from the ash heap. You see, some of these words are the same words. To them, to set them among princes and make them inherit the throne of glory. The pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he has set the world upon them. He will guard the feet of his saints. He will guard the feet of his saints. But the wicked shall be silent in darkness. For by strength no man shall prevail. The adversaries of the Lord will be broken in pieces, or shall be broken in pieces. From heaven he will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. That was Hannah's prayer. What's ours? Let's pray. Our Father, help us to learn, to appreciate, and to appropriate properly a correct understanding of what you desire for us to gain from these portions of your word. We ask in the name of Christ our Savior with thanksgiving. Amen.